This episode is brought to you by Affordable Drill Towers. Founded in 2016 by our good friend Steve Sanguidoce, a retired Houston, Texas firefighter, the Affordable Drill Tower was designed and built with functionality and versatility in mind for any training ground. As a standalone training tower and add-on to an existing burn building or connect setup, the Affordable Drill Tower packs a massive punch at an affordable price tag. With over 50 towers across the country, from Massachusetts to California, Montana to Texas, professionally engineered, NFPA and ISO compliant, the Affordable Drill Towers brings the versatility to your training ground. From Main Street USA, the small town fire company in their back parking lot, to the training grounds of the largest metropolitan fire academy, the Affordable Drill Tower fits the bill for price and functionality. Check them out at AffordableDrillTowers.com. And two things I like to talk about also when talking about our friends over at Affordable Drill Towers. One, their customized training program. They have the ability to bring some of the best talent from across the country to your home turf after the install of the Affordable Drill Tower. Designing a customized training program for you and your department, Steve will facilitate some of the biggest and brightest names of the American Fire Service to come in and work with you and your department. And secondly, and I think most important, is Steve's belief in need over greed. The affordable drill tower company gives back to not-for-profits that support organizations in the American Fire Service. Organizations such as the Joey D Foundation, which is near and dear to Steve Sanguidoche's heart, as well as many other not-for-profits that he takes a part of. He takes great pride in providing funding for organizations that push this job forward. So check them out. Steve and Dennis over at Affordable Drill Towers. Send them an email at info at affordabledrilltowers.com. Check them out on social media. And their YouTube page is kicking butt with great information, training nuggets, and information about their towers. So check them out, Affordable Drill Towers, and let them know Jeremy over at National Fire Radio sent you. This episode's brought to you by Ridgeway Leatherworks. Ridgeway Leatherworks is a firefighter-owned and operated business as well as a family-run business, and that's what I love about it. Rob and his family are passionate about their customer service and the quality product and craftsmanship they put out for the emergency services. Rob's been on the show. We've been to his his business. We've seen them in action. I've even tried to hand-paint radio straps. I promise you, it is not as easy as what the final outcome looks like. The product is so good, it's so clean and crisp, and yet, man, it takes that steady hand. Rob's become a near and dear friend of our podcast, and you hear that over and over when we talk about our sponsors, that they're friends, supporters, and that's what this networking community is all about, is supporting one another. Ridgeway Leatherworks, Rob Meyer, crushing it. Quality and craftsmanship is number one. Customer service is right there with it. From custom radio straps, universal radio holsters, chin straps, flashlight holders, anti-sway straps, and locker tags made out of leather, there's plenty of opportunity along the way when you deal with Ridgeway Leatherworks. So check them out at RidgewayLeatherworks.com. Find them on social media, Instagram, Facebook, and TikTok. And tell Rob you heard about him on the National Fire Radio platform and give them a little pluck and tell them keep up the good work we need to support our firefighter owned businesses and especially family run businesses where his two daughters and his wife help out day in and day out along with his other employees so again ridgeway leatherworks check them out at ridgewayleatherworks.com and find them on all your social media channels Hey everybody, it's Rob, National Fire Radio, here with the gospel for bringing it back, and I've got a rock star of a first guest with the relaunch of this podcast, the one and only from the uh, Fire Inside uh, blog, Battalion Chief of West Columbia Fire Department in South Carolina, Mark Alon. Mark, what is going on? Um, just good things, man. Enjoying my four-day break from work and trying to catch up with some stuff around the house and getting ready for some some various travel opportunities I'm doing through uh, our state fire association and a couple conferences and speaking engagements coming up. So hoping for some cooler weather down here in the south and enjoying being at work. Awesome. Mark, really quickly, for those who don't know you, kind of give us your like give us your reader's digest version of 
of who you are, where, where you came from, and like kind of how you got into the fire service. Yeah, sure. So I, I grew up in upstate New York. I was a volunteer uh, in my local department. Started at the age of 17. Went into the Air Force at 19. Uh, couldn't get a firefighting gig, so learned how to be an intelligence analyst. Uh, ended up stationed down here in Georgia and got my first uh, career gig at a department I volunteered with while I was in the Air Force. I worked there for about 12 years and in 2019 I went to West Columbia as a lateral captain hire. Promoted to battalion chief in March. Somewhere along that journey, I started doing my blog and typing and going to conferences and writing articles. And it's just it's been a cool ride. And I'm just trying to take it in while it lasts and, and hoping that I can spread some good stuff in the process. And I know I got to sit through a portion of your class at Revolutionary Fire Tactics at the Lake down in Missouri over the summer. And it was, I mean, we've been friends on Facebook, and I don't remember when that connection got made. So I was just like, I definitely have to sit in Mark's class because I don't think we had ever, I, I don't, I, I can't remember if I had met you previously or, or not. So I think I just flubbed the whole introduction and stumbled through it. But, you know, it was, uh, it, it was good. To, which, which class were you teaching at, uh, at Revolutionary Fire Tactics? Uh, so I did Building a Tradition of Passion, which is my culture class, basically about just passing on loving firefighting to each generation. And then I did my class on probationary development, which is, you know, kind of two parts. It's one ways to, to tell your probationary process to help your apartment. And then two, um, how we interact with our new firefighters between when they get off and, and getting ready for that first promotion. So they're not caught off guard. Right. And I mean, I, I know sitting through the, for the little bit of, of the building of uh, building a tradition of passion, like, I just I sat in the back smiling because it's something that we talk about with National Fire Radio a lot is the you know traditions, uh, culture, all of it, and how it kind of melds together into the fire service. So it was kind of neat just to sit back there and and hear some of these things as you're going over them, and, and it's like almost was like a little bit of validation for what we've built over the last couple of years with NFR. So it was it was pretty cool to see that. It's awesome, man. That's that's the goal. That's the whole goal of the class is just to get people to realize how many good things are happening in their organization and the organizations around them and really trying to get people to just shift that focus from being so, you know, polarized and, and upset all the time to just remembering to to carry through with, you know, we're all, hell, it's the best job on the world on earth, right? So let's act like it every day instead of, you know, just spitting that out when it's convenient. Now, uh, West Columbia Fire Department um, in South Carolina kind of build the picture for the uh, audience of what the department's makeup is and what your everyday looks like when you walk through the door. Yeah, so we're a, we're a small city. Uh, we border Columbia, South Carolina, and then we are actually located in Lexington County. Um, we border the town of Lexington on the other side and then another small city, city of Casey um, on the third side. Uh, where we have one firehouse, we run an engine company, uh, a truck company and a battalion buggy. We operate under a bigger automatic aid plan between all those departments in the area. Uh, we do uh, non-transport ALS, which is something we've slowly progressed into over the past, uh, I think, three years. It's really starting to, to get going now. Uh, we, we're currently working through building a technical rescue team. Uh, we have a tiller on order that'll come in. That's kind of the, the crown jewel of that coming together. Nice. Um, and then hopefully here in the next uh, few years, uh, we'll be able to expand the department. We're, we're growing quite a bit. The city keeps annexing. Um, and so day uh, in the life of us, you can expect somewhere on a slow day, probably four or five runs uh, to a busy day. I think the most I ran when I went on the engine was, was 14 or 16 in a four-hour period. Uh, we just started the 4896, which has been amazing for us. So we come in, we do you know, the, the normal firehouse stuff, we get our training in, we, we do our, our daily tasks, maintain our rig, maintain the station. Uh, most of our guys are into training quite a bit. Um, and pretty much everybody does some form of PT. And, and we just run our calls, man. It's, it, it's a good place to work. It's, it's growing. It's, it's come a long way in, in the four years I've been there. And then from the history lessons, I get even, even more since then. So, uh, a lot of guys that they want to be there, they want to run calls, they want to do work, and you know that's what else can you ask for? Yeah, and and I'm, uh, you may have said it. I was trying to keep notes here, but what's the staffing typically like? 
Uh, so when we're full, it's uh, four assigned to the ladder, three assigned to the engine company, and then obviously the battalion chief. Uh, we don't have an eight or anything like that. Um, on, on a good day, we can drop one, so, you know, three and three. Uh, but obviously with the, the recruitment and retention issues that everybody's having right now, um, you know, there are days we – some days we fall below that, but that's our goal is to be no no less than three on the engine, three on the truck, and have the battalion in service. Right. So with that being said, Mark, like, you know, my own recent history, I've taken over as a training captain in my own department. It's become, like, I don't want to say a passion because I feel that might be overselling it a bit, but, like, it's my responsibility now. And there wasn't things that were really laid out in front of us to do this. So I had to kind of build up you know, in the last couple months, my own training program and kind of get things going. And it sparked this interest inside of me of like, hey, like, what are people passionate about in training? And what does training look like? Because everybody's got an idea in their head. Um, and some people have grandiose ideas. Some people have, I, you know, like their you know, like the PowerPoint or target solutions would be like, they're like, yeah, that's great. Um, but there's some kind of compromise in the middle. And like for you, like what's how, how do you manage like that training aspect of like being like when you were on the line as a captain before getting promoted? I don't know if that's changed for you and getting the uh, and, and you know being involved in training. But like, what does that mindset look like for you as especially with a smaller department with with the manpower and everything? Yeah, I think you know something to hit on first is kind of what you just said with, with you being becoming a training captain is. <laughs> I found early on that you got, you know, a lot of people get linked training, a training person just because you like doing stuff, just because you like doing the job. And, um, you know, I wouldn't consider myself a training person. I, I kind of, I'm like you, I think that, you know, there's classroom stuff, which is education to me. And then I think training is more the traditional drill that you got in the volunteer service where you go out and actually put firefighting skills together with our equipment. And I think a lot of people get labeled as, you know, like I said, training people simply because they like going out and drilling. And the, those are actually like what your role is as a training captain to me is way different than what the average company officer or firefighter is doing for, you know, quote unquote, training every shift. Um, so I think the, the big thing for me, especially at the company level, is is distinguishing the difference between what a training requirement is and, and what training is needed for your company. And, and I'm not going to knock training requirements because that's not... You know, it's not a bad thing, but I think these days that's if it doesn't translate to an ISO hour or a accreditation hour or whatever, people kind of snub away from it. It's what's on the training calendar. You know, what do we need to do to make sure we're compliant? And unfortunately, the, the side effect of that is that we hit this broad range of skills throughout the year, but we don't really focus on what is your company good at and what are they not good at? And, you know, in years past, we had the specialty companies. We had truck companies that were truck companies, engine companies that were engine companies, rescue companies. And the way the fire services shifted to all hazards, we're asking everybody on every piece to do all those things at the expense of being specific in those trainings. So I think for me, uh, my approach was basically that, you know, especially when I was when I was a captain and you know, in a little bit, I'll, I'll get how that shifted in, in the battalion role. But, you know, as a line officer on, on a company, I felt it was the department's responsibility to, hey, this is what your training hours have to be for the year. It was their job to track them. My job as a company officer was to make sure that, you know, what are the strengths and weaknesses of my company? What are we good at? What are we not good at? And then kind of trying to figure out how does that fit into what our normal call line is and how does that fit into the calls we're going to run by ourselves versus the calls we're going to have help on. So, for example, as an engine company, you know, we run med calls, so can we do CPR effectively? Do we know what our protocols are? We're going to run fire calls. We're going to run single company fire calls. We're going to run multiple company fire calls. So how are we at pulling a line? <laughs> do, you know, do we know what line to pull? Do we know how to estimate a stretch? Do we know our district? And, you know, if we get into something with a little rescue component to it, there's a rescue truck coming to me, there's a truck company coming to me. So we're we're more of a support for the support company at that point. So are we good at you know, doing the medical care inside the vehicle, or are we pulling safety lines, things like that. And I think if you can focus on that stuff from the company level, it does two things. One, it makes sure that your company is the best company they can be at the things they're tasked with. Uh, but two, it also kind of simplifies what your training program is. It kind of helps you focus 
you, your efforts on what to pick and choose for your daily trainings. And you're not just kind of out there in the universe of firefighting, trying to figure out what works and what doesn't and what's important and what's not, because you're going to figure that out on your daily calls. And, you know, I've always been in the mindset of, I, I think you really got to focus on your bread and butter stuff. I think that, you know, you can, you can go out there and train every day for the, the once in a career call, but it's, it's not, <laughs> it's just not realistic to me. Um, to, to make that your priority. The other side of that to me is that I think those once in a career calls tend to have more time to them, um, you know, to figure things out as a group, it's going to have more resources. It's very rare that you're going to have a single company of three or four people show up at this, you know, giant sophisticated multi-alarm fire or crazy and, you know, rescue type, you know, high angle crane rescue. That's not how it plays out, but we have people that want to focus on that stuff all the time. I I just don't think that's the way to be. I think focus on your bread and butter, train together as a, as a department, or if it's a regional team or something for those bigger calls. And, you know, you just got to find the balance and that balance is not always 50, 50. Sometimes that balance is 10%. You know, high risk, low, low frequency and and 90 percent, you know, what we do every day. Yeah, I I couldn't agree more. And I think that when I was a company officer, it was like my focus was always on sharpening the edge of the company. And like for I mean, for my district, it's two engines in the truck that we crossed off with two BLS ambulances. And at the time there was six on during the daytime and then we dropped to four at night. But it was always um like my biggest concern was pulling a line, bringing that line to where it needed to be, and then quickly and efficiently masking up because I knew with the manpower, I don't want to say the shift, but like when that snap happens, you know, at at the line of scrimmage, we had a very limited amount of people and we had to do several things quickly. So everything I focused on was to sharpen that edge of you know, of getting that line off the rig for a fire, you know, and then putting our mask on and getting water into play on the fire as quickly as possible. And then pushing forward still with life safety and everything else in our minds. And we've kind of grown our manpower a little bit now, but, uh, and there's some growing struggles with that, but it was very much, and I found that the more we focused on the basics, the once in a lifetime calls, they kind of, I don't want to say they took on their own new, new life, but because the basics were so, the foundation was so, so solid that we could really start pulling, uh, you know, in, in, in on those incidents and coming up with creative ways to find the solution for the problem that we were called to. Yeah. So you, you literally just hit my favorite drill like that. You know, I, I rode on an engine company, the, the vast majority of my career, except being, you know, sent out for staffing coverage somewhere. So, you know, I, I'm not going to sit here and try to give you a bunch of good, rescue drills or, or truck company drills because that's not that's just not my experience uh but but what you hit for an engine company that, that is i want you to be able to pick you know pull up to a house and one know know what that house might look like because you've been out in the neighborhood before know know where the entry points are in a ranch house know that you're probably going to the carport because nobody uses the front front door on a on a ranch house in the south it's usually got a, a giant tv or a dresser or something in front of it um knowing what how much hose you're normally going to have for that house because you've been there and you've done it before but but like you said hey we hit the parking brake everybody knows their job you know what is what is our target time is it two minutes is it a minute 30 you know what what worked for us based on our previous training but getting the line deployed making sure it's king free making sure i've got my nozzle and a coupling at the door and making sure i can get my mask on in 30 seconds or less so that we're ready to go um you know, there's some caveats, there's or rather there's variations you can throw in there. So, you know, in, in at my first apartment, our minimum staffing was two per rig. So there were times where I had to drive as an officer. And so that's a different look for that drill. But we had a drill on it. So when you had a new guy, what were they responsible for? You know, and then what did I have to do as a driver to, to be able to meet them? There's other times with a, with a two person crew where as the officer, I was the nozzleman. So I had to do the 360, but I had to be able to deploy the line. So it was a matter of training and coordinating with that driver. Hey, these are your responsibilities or, Hey, you're going to get out. I'm going to stretch the line. You know, while I'm doing my 360 and stretching, get dressed, get your stuff on when I can bleed the line off, set your pressure, then get up there and join me. And sometimes they would bump up to the nozzle and I would back up. And other times, you know, it'd be like, Hey, I'm just going to stay here Uh, with the three person crew. My biggest thing as an officer was again, 
hey, let's train on what our responsibilities are. So the nozzle man, hey, I don't want to, <laughs> you should know based on where we're going in the district and what type of building, you should know what line is in your mind. And I'm not even going to sit there as your officer and tell you that because we, we should know that. And the only time we're going to deviate is if I get, if I tell you on the headset, hey, it's a two and a half first inch three quarter, or, hey, I want an inch three quarter off this side. Other than that, I'm going with what, with what you want to do. And that's based on experience, right? That's based on me knowing my personnel. Uh, but when we pull up, that nozzleman was tasked one-man deployment. I, I was not big on making the nozzleman carry a tool. I know some people do that. I, to me, the, the nozzle is that person's tool. Uh, for me as the company officer, I came off with a halogen and a wedge that was bungee to it. I'm doing my 360. I can force the front door for us if we need it, you know, if there's no truck company there, if it's locked. And so what I really focused on was being able to three, three sides on arrival, sticking my head across the back of the, the seaside or whatever side I couldn't see, making sure there's nobody hanging out a window and then being able to get my mask on while walking back to the front door because my nozzleman should be ready. And then I really focused as a company officer on single man forcible entry of, of not these crazy, you know, let's put a four by four through the door prop, but standard, you know, apartment residential doors, maybe with a deadbolt, which are easily achievable with, you know, like I said, a little aluminum wedge and a halogen bar. And, and making sure that we were on the same page with that. And then the rest of my time as a company officer was spent not not being a company officer, really, honestly, but being a good backup firefighter. Because with a three-person crew, it's really a two-person crew. Um, so when I would go to conferences, I know I spent a lot of time in nozzle forward. I, I would deliberately find newer firefighters and say, hey, I want to be your backup because that's my role. And I would still do nozzle work, you know, to, to be able to teach it and understand it. But I really tried to get good at figuring out pinch points and being able to preload hose and, and being a good backup because we all know or should know that the, the backup is really what makes or break your stretch. It's what gets it there. And so to me, that's, that's my favorite drill. It's just that single company, the building's on fire, your first due, you're, you're pulling up, you're setting the break, set your time frame. We need a line. We need a 360. We need a mask up. We need to know if we can get in and that's it. And, and that's, it's not complicated skills, right? But that's literally the most important thing we do as a fire department, in my opinion. This episode is brought to you by the Affordable Standpipe Prop. Let's break it down real quick. Steve and the crew at Affordable Drill Towers is doing it again. They've created this fully custom and fabricated standpipe prop to support the fire service. I'm telling you right now, this is a game-changing piece of training equipment. And I wanna hop into it real quick. It is designed with a four-inch manifold of high-strength galvanized Schedule 10 pipe. The cart and manifold are powder-coated red for a durable finish, meaning it's not just a talking piece. It's not something you tuck away on the shelf. This is a training prop that can be wheeled into the classroom and then brought out onto the training ground. And so let's talk about that. In the classroom, there's nothing better than having a hands-on prop in front of the students, in front of the fire companies that are there to learn about standpipe and FBC connections, having that prop in the classroom allows for a great instructional lecture. And then from there, take the standpipe theory and translate it to the training grounds. You could wheel the cart out that's on casters, you wheel it out into the parking lot, and that same training prop that you just used hands-on in the classroom can now be used hands-on on the training ground by pumping into it and flowing out of it. It offers such versatility in its approach. It has a two and a half inch Siamese connection, seven two and a half inch outlets, six of which are standpipe valves, has a water motor gong, sprinkler head with a control valve, and a system pressure gauge. You can also upgrade and put three of the most common field adjustable PRVs. I'm telling you right now, this is a game-changing training prop that needs to be in every fire company or training department across the country. Reach out to Steve and the crew, info at affordabledrilltowers.com. Ask for a demo, ask for information, or check them out on social media and YouTube. There's plenty of content out there that shows you exactly what the affordable standpipe prop can do for you. This episode's brought to you by Taylor's Tins. Taylor and his crew at Taylor's Tins have been manufacturing aluminum helmet fronts since 2017. With over 200,000 tins in the market, they are a leader in the helmet front space. Custom design, one-offs to department orders, they can turn them around within 24 to 48 hours. Customer service is what they pride themselves on and they provide nothing but top shelf 
product and service to their customers. Check them out at taylorstins.com and check out their full line of product offering. They've always been a very strong supporter since day one with the National Fire Radio podcast and platform. And Taylor and his crew have become dear friends of ours, and we appreciate the support. And at checkout, for a little extra bonus, use coupon code NFR sent me. That's NFR sent me for a discount on your order. Exclusions do apply. Anyway, check out taylorstins.com for the latest and greatest offerings from Taylor and his crew. And in the words of Taylor, stop burning up leather. And when you're like for the, uh, I don't want to say this, the mindset of this too, but like, uh, the, I guess the one thing that always amazed me was how people were very, um, they would, they would dig in to not pull a line off the rig. But the reality is you're doing this, uh, at speed drill and it's going to take what, for the, the, the three-man company, even if you rotated everybody through the positions, probably 30, maybe 45 minutes if you're really taking your time. But like within an hour, you're well on your way back and critiquing and, you know, you, you've gotten yeah. the reps in. Yeah, absolutely. And and something I found too is that when you set out to train for a certain number of hours, that it kind of screws your training up to begin with because that's all, like, oh, we're going to be out here for an hour. Oh, we got to be out here for four hours. Now we're going to be out there till we get it right. If that takes one evolution or 10 evolutions, I really don't care. You know, and, and if you're a professional and you're you're about what we do, it, it should be fun to some degree. Now I get it. Like it's tiring, it's labor and stuff. But what most people find is that as everybody at that training evolution is on the same page, it, it's fun. It's when you have people that don't want to be there and they're trying to sabotage it or they're not pulling their weight. That's when training becomes cumbersome and it becomes burdensome. And so the goal to me was always to explain the why to people. This is why we're doing this drill. This is why it matters. This is why the time matters. And then just go out there and get it done. And I think if you can show people some kind of improvement in their skill set, it becomes more fun for them because they they see the value in it at that point. You're not setting them up to fail. You're not out there trying to do this giant evolution to make them look stupid. You're literally just saying, hey, this is your job description. And I want to make you better at it. And I think that's the key to me is just helping people realize what they're capable of and showing them just that steady incremental improvement in their skill set goes a long way into their tolerance and their willingness to participate in it. Yeah, and it and it totally uh, like there's so much to unpack there, but that that like uh, coming back to the crew and like being able to point out that improvement, and then like so we just you know I think we, you and I were discussing on the phone the other day like how we've you know at my job we've stretched a lot of hose in the last couple months and we've done a lot of training and we've had a we've had two incidents in a vacant factory and we have stretched a 400 foot line to the seat of the fire every time. And we've been able to make up uh, And the other day, it was a little bit more complicated, a little bit more moving parts, but they essentially um, took our standpipe packs and uh, our high rise packs and they made the line up to go up the ladder and essentially made it, you know, not, we didn't use the ladder as a standpipe, but you know, we, we had to get a line up the ladder and the easiest thing to do in their own call with their own thinking was this is a commercial building. Let's get our, two and a half inch in play and do it with that but they did it and like the next thing i know this line was going to pass through a window and that is by far that, that is their work like they're and i i've got to follow this up with everybody with everything that happened with this incident but like the proof was in the pudding when these lines were put in place so quickly so it's yeah. just such a it's such a great feeling as a one as a officer to see that but also for the guys because you're getting compliments of like wow like they that's you know i don't want to say they people were shocked that we stretched in but like we we've made these stretches so it's there's such a, a value to that because it, and it's always something that you can see the proof in the pudding not to say that you won't get caught up on something i mean i i face planted the other day on a curb um that was like a, a bump i mean it just it was not my my most gracious moment but i uh you know these things will happen but even then i think that when those incidents when that when murphy you know bangs his head into the room you're able to kind of react a little bit better because you can just pick right up where you left off in the muscle memory so that's yeah and, and you inadvertently brought up another key point to all this which is you know train through failure 
too often we stop the drill when it doesn't go right, when the stretch goes bad, when the mass yep. doesn't go on right. And then that's what people are going to do when it, when it matters, they're going to stop. And that's, that's something we really got to fix with training. But, but, but to your point about your crews and the warehouse fire, where does that start? That it starts with the goal of the engine company is to pull, just to pull one line, any line off the truck, every ship, just one, one evolution mm-hmm. of those bowl. for a ladder company, throw a ladder, one ladder. I don't care if it's an aerial, it's a ground ladder. You can throw the attic ladder. I really don't care. Something, right? Something off the truck. Rescue company, I don't know. I've never been on a rescue company. I don't know what they do. So they can pick whatever discipline they want and just and try to do it every day. But that, that's where it starts. One drill a day. It's, it's, it's a small investment in the bigger picture. Right. They wear capes and they yell squat a lot. That's what I know. Hey, good for them. Somebody's got to do it. I, <laughs> I bet if I go down, I, I'd want them coming for me. So it's all good. Heck yeah. Um, uh, and the other thing is you, you, you talked about the goal is to explain the why. And I think that is so huge because... This is that like constant, like we, we hear this back and forth between everybody, right? Like the complaint from the older crowd was they, they keep asking questions. They want to know why they want to know the why, but it's so important because we explain the why and we lay that like it goes back to that foundation. And now like, cause the younger firefighters, they want to, they're not asking to be annoying. They want to, they're asking the why to understand. So if we provide that at the start of the drill, which I think is always a key to success is saying, this is what we're going to do today. This is why we're doing it. And I expect this to take us 45 minutes or no longer than 45 minutes. All of my expectations are set for the firefighters to put them in the mindset, to let them know where we're at. If I do have somebody who's there to sabotage, hopefully I can deflate them before they want to go down that road. But, you know, it's not hundred percent foolproof, but at least now they've got the who, what, when, where, and why of what we're doing with it. You know, like you said, you can either do it to your, till we can't get it wrong, we can go through the failure, or we can put a time, I don't want to say a time limit, but like a rough estimate. And typically everybody has been very, very receptive to that. And I think that's just, I, I, I'm just happy that you, you, you brought up the goals to explain the why. Yeah. You know, what's funny to me is that, you know, I'm in that weird kind of middle generation. I'm, I'm half old, I'm half young, depending on which other generation of the fire service you ask is where I fall mm-hmm. in that category. But I don't, I don't remember having to ask why when I first started, um, you know, and I started in 2001. So it's not, I guess it's long ago now. It's 22 years ago. <laughs> uh, I just remember when people, when people would, you'd ask something, people would tell you the why. And I, somewhere along the line, we, got away from that and we started making a bad thing. But I think the reason why the older generation doesn't remember asking why is because they didn't have to, because the people that were teaching them, they already packaged it into their lesson. They, it was already part of it. Um, and I think somewhere is we've kind of deviated from that old school training mentality to get more of these requirements. And a lot of this, like you said, a lot of the book stuff and, and that's, become the focus versus the why. And and luckily to me, there's a resurgence right now of mm-hmm. teachers and instructors and, and great people that are much smarter, much better teachers than I am that are, that are able to bring that back. Um, and so to me that that whole why conversation is null and void because firefighters have always asked why it's just, to me, it's a change in the, in the teachers and the instructors and the company officers. It's not a change in the firefighter that I don't believe that for a minute. I, I just, I can't, I can't get there. <laughs> yeah. Um, going back to your favorite drill of, of this engine company operation, um, for people who are out there that are going to try to tackle this, uh, and, or, you know, and they, and they, they want to bring this drill and they, they're, they're listening to this, but like, what are some of the tips, tricks, and hacks that you can kind of, um, go over of some of the things to, to look for when you're doing this drill and you're, and you're, you want to, you know, set things off on the right foot? Yeah, for sure. So, I think number one is understanding your department and your administration and, and what you are able to do and not able to do because it, it is different depending on where you go. Um, so I was always in the mindset of if I could do it off my primary rig, I wanted to do it off the primary rig because that's what we're going to usually use in real life. Uh, having said that, you've got to have some kind of, you know, realization that if you're going to be in service while you do this, you don't need to dump every hose bed on the truck to, to do your drill. That's, that's a recipe for disaster. So I I try to keep in service, single company training to one line, you know, possibly two, if you're going to pull the bumper, because, you know, at some point, um, you know, the operator needs to pump different lines and stuff, but we're getting kind of way, way further down the road. So I would say just that single company drill, one cross leg, 
Uh, if you're not able to do that because of your resources or because your department won't allow you, if you have a reserve rig, that's the next best thing. Um, if you don't have access to that, it's really cheap to go buy some two by fours and some plywood. As a matter of fact, if you go to some building supply stores in your district, they'll probably donate you some of the stuff nobody wants because it's warped and stuff or it's got water damage. And just measure your hose tray and build you your own prop. And I'm sure you have spare hose somewhere, either in your compartment or in, on a rack in your house. And throw a, a you know, 200, 300 foot pre-connect together and go out and stretch it. So that, that's number one. Um, the same thing true. I mean, if you're short staffed, you probably got some spare air packs either in a reserve rig or at the station or even in your back seat. If you got a six person cab and you're, <laughs> there's just two of you on it, you got you got spare air packs to use. So use those instead of you know the air pack you're going to put on if you guys go get a fire. Um, so those would be the two big ones, just as far as you know what to use. Um, the parking lot is fine. The fire station is fine. But the gold standard to me is to go out in your community and either find some abandoned buildings or even some occupied stuff. I've had really good luck with going to new construction that isn't, you know, roughed in yet. It's, it's just the, you know, there's no drywall on them. It's just framing and stretching through that. Cause you're not going to hurt anything. It's just wood. You can't hurt it. Uh, going to apartment buildings, just go talk to the manager. Hey, uh, we were going to come out today and see, uh, you know, what we're capable of doing. So if your building catches on fire, we're better prepared. What are they going to say? No. I mean, I guess they could, but nobody's saying no to that. And you're respectful about it. The citizens come out as everything. Okay. Yeah. We're just training. You know, that's another good thing. You know, and, and, and Mark, not to, I just want to interrupt real quick, but like, I think back to Mo Davis talking about like, that's a citizen's fire truck. That's their fire. And like, like they, and, and and Mo is such a genius when it comes to that mindset, because when we've been out doing that, like that's like as the guys are stretching the line my my job as a company officer was to be that inter, you know intermediary between the citizens and the fire department and say no this is what we're doing because and and to overemphasize like we're your fire department that's your fire truck we're your firefighters and we're making sure that god forbid there's an incident here we're going to be capable and typically i'd get do you want to do our house next and we could you know it's just you know and how do you how do you speak very difficult to say no in that situation. Yeah, right. the, the way I kind of try to phrase it is that you don't you don't work in the firehouse, you work in your district. So get the hell out of the firehouse, <laughs> get in the district. Um, you know, another one that works out well sometimes, if you can get on your realtor.com and figure out what houses are for sale, not everybody lives in their house while they sell it. So go find some houses that are on the market that are unoccupied. And again, don't mess up their landscaping and don't be banging stuff around, <laughs> screwing up their paint, but you can respectfully do it. And if they got a problem and they complain, then you simply say, I'm sorry, we're just trying to get better. We won't do it again. And, you know, so sometimes you're going to get slapped on the wrist and that's okay. That's kind of part of it to me. Mm -hmm. um, and then I guess the other, the other things to me are, um, we kind of touched on it earlier, you know, the mascot component, get to where you can do it with gloves on. Um, that, that's a process. Start with a, just a mask and gloves and a hood and be able to feel your hood, you know, then put your coat on, start trying to do it that way. Slowly work your way up to the air pack figure out what works for you, whether you're going to put your helmet, you know, over your arm, if you're going to flip it back over your neck, everybody's different. And you might find out that you need a different chin strap or you need gloves that fit better. Um, well, something that really worked for me as far as estimating the stretch that I tried to incorporate subconsciously into my 360 was that go out there and take a measuring wheel and measure off your stride for a few strides. So what I figured out is my stride's about two and a half feet. So every, you know, every one, two is five feet. That makes the math real easy, you know, when you get out there, you know, how many steps that take? Okay, cool, double it. That, that's how far I walk. Um, and that's a good way to start figuring out how big the house is. Uh, start learning landmarks. If you're in a city that has, you know, power poles that are spaced fairly normally, how far is it in between them? That's a good gauge. You know, how how much of the average uh, block does a house take up? How, you know, most, most communities, they're fairly similar in size. Uh, something I took out of nozzle forward from Aaron Fields that, that really hit home for me is, you know, a building's either longer than wide, you know, deeper, you know, wider, deeper, or it's a square. And so you just, all you really need on a building is the longest side and you're not going to use any more hose inside that building than that number for, for the most part. Um, and so I, I think as far as that goes, that, that's it. And then just knowing your truck, you know, know how to pull line. And, and the only way you're going to learn that is to pull line. And, you know, I've, I've loaded crosslays by myself before. I mean, it's, you're, you're really only limited by your imagination and your work ethic. Other than that, 
I mean, you can do so much stuff as a single company, especially when you're just doing a fundamental drill like that. Um, and it's kind of a good segue too. I, I just want to hit it because I know we're running short on time, but you kind of asked, you know, as a battalion chief, how, is, how has that changed for me, you know, with that, with that drill? Uh, so what I have tried to, to start doing with our guys as the battalion chief is that I came to realize the, the worst thing you can do as a battalion chief is get on the radio too early and start asking for a progress report. You know, they're, they're not even stretched yet. And I'm already on the mic. What do you got? What do you got? And it's because time goes by in different increments when you're on the fire ground versus you're in, in the car, you know, trying to watch out the windshield. And so the, what I came to the conclusion of was that I needed to know how long it took people to do things because I could start tracking for myself. Hey, if I assign you to go ladder the Charlie side, how long does that usually take you? Well, I have no concept of that if we don't go on a bunch of fires, but I can get a concept for that by going to training with you. Same thing with stretching a line, same thing with masking up. So uh, what I have done with my crews is that on our second day of our 48, um, somewhere about nine and 10 in the morning, we go out in the bay. Uh, we all, including myself, we get together and we do mask up drills in the bay for it's usually five to, to 20 minutes. It, it really just depends what the guys want to do that day and how it goes. I don't make them do it with gloves on. I just say, hey, your goal is 30 seconds or less. I don't care how you do it. I care about the outcome. And so we'll go out there for four or five shifts and we'll do it. And then we'll do one for time where I'll say, okay, walk to that door right there, mask up, and then, you know, do your life fire layout, come out, we'll time it. And it gets a little competitive, you know, positive competition. Mm -hmm. And then other days we'll go out there, we'll do the mask up and I'll say, okay, cool. Um, this time, you know, now we're done. You know, engine, I want you guys to pull a line to the door on the Delta side and, you know, truck company, I want you to ladder the, the Charlie side and go give me a roof report. And it's a quick first do drill. It's over in 10 minutes. We pack up and then I tell them, hey, the rest of the day is yours. You guys do what you want to do. It keeps me in the loop. It keeps my skills up. It lets me put eyes on my guys and see how they're doing, what they're doing. And it gives me that time component for when I'm in the car trying to figure out, hey, have they been after this too long? Do I need to say right. something or is it time to call yet or then, you know, the parking brake hits, you're not giving me a can report, right? You got to get out of the rig first. And so uh, to me, that's kind of how it changes a battalion chief on, on that smaller level. And then uh, the flip side of that for me is just trying to make sure the training's getting done and making sure that I am, I try not to go out for the entire drill when they do their company drills. I, my captains need to be captains, but I try to at least go out there for part of it, either in the beginning, the middle or the end, and just kind of observe what's going on, see what they're teaching, make sure, you know, what they're teaching is, you know, current and just see how their guys are doing. And then I, then I go disappear. So they, you know, they can be the guys without me around. And, and so far, you know, I've, I've been a battalion chief, like I said, six months. So, so far, so good. I, I've seen the progress. I've seen people buy into it. And I feel like I'm, I know what they're going to do much better because I, I invest that time. Well, and it's good for them to see you, you know, I just said to it, I mean, to the extent, but like, I've always enjoyed like our, my, my current fire chief, we had, done some stuff with our high rise packs and he had come out like geared up to take part. So he had a understanding of the new equipment and it just it, like the, the guys ate that up because he was engaged with us. So it was, you know, that's a, a great, uh, I just, I'm, Hey, I'm a big fan of it. I give you two thumbs up on that. So for what it's worth, I'll well, buy a cup of coffee as well. In our system too, you know, our, our second new chief becomes the safety officer. Normally, if you're a third new or later chief, you're probably getting a division or, or a group or something. So mm -hmm. I still need to be able to do those skills. You know, if something goes wrong, like you, you still need to be able to function. So it, it's as much for them as it is for me, because I'm, I'm here to tell you again, I'm probably one of the shortest tenured chiefs you'll, you'll have on your show. And man, those skills, they deteriorate quick when you're not doing it every day. You don't realize how many reps you get in just in the course of running a normal shift on the truck versus once you come off of it. Yeah, I think that's one of my, I moved to days and um, I'm thankful for the overtime shifts that I can work because they humble me and at the same time, get me back in the game with the with the men and women to see how we're, we're, we're doing. Because it just, there's a difference. Like in it, it's now now more so than ever, I have to be on top of myself to maintain skills because it's very easy to sit in this chair, you know, do the work at the desk and then implement the training and then come back and, and document and not like, you know, jumping on the rig and running calls is, is still an important part of that. So yeah, it's because it happens and we're, we're small departments. And I think that's the other thing that's why I'm enjoying these conversations because the majority of departments in the United States are not, large departments so like 
on like I can come back on the second alarm and I could be assistant chief, I could be the safety officer, I could be on division, or I could just be doing work because it's we've got to fill the gaps where they are. So, Mark, this has been awesome. I I thank thank you so much for 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 doing this. Where um, as we wrap up here, where can people find uh, find you? So I'm gonna throw you one more thing. It just popped in my head. Oh yeah, yeah. I'll go for you. Uh, All right, I'm good. Yeah. Uh, record your your drills. With you know, I, I don't know. I'm not gonna get into the whole helmet cam and and GoPro debate on the department level, but training wise, if you really want to sell training, you really want to get better. The clock that comes with those recordings will really let you know. You can think you did a great drill, and then you watch that video, and you're like, man, I I didn't do a good job. So really. Uh, that's what ties it all together to me. And that also gives you that benchmark for improvement going down the road is, Hey, we started at this number and now we're, you know, this many days into it, look how much better we're doing, look how much cleaner it is and how much faster. So, um, as far as I go, uh, the fire inside on Facebook and Instagram, uh, let's see, my website is thefireinside.org. Um, I haven't really done much with it. I, I took this new position and it's kind of taken me away a little bit, obviously, as I, I learned my new role and kind of get comfortable. Something had to, you know, take a back seat a little bit. So not as much writing as usual, but um, it's still there on a pretty, pretty regular basis. If you're going to Firehouse Expo this year, I will be there. I'm doing a, a round table uh, with some other chief officers on the 28th on the big floor. And then on the 29th at 8 a.m., I'll be doing my short staffing uh, class, which is called the Hat Dance, Realities of the Short Staff Company Officer. Uh, I got a couple other local things coming up. I'm doing Upstate Fire Conference. I'm part of a round table, which is gonna be in Greenville, South Carolina, October. Uh, there's another one coming out. Um, I think the next one will come out today for something I'm doing locally up in the Columbia area. And then got my first nod for FDIC in 2024. So if you're Congratulations. there. Congratulations. Man, man, thank you. I'm, I'm so stoked. So, uh, yeah, if you're there, you know, come catch the class. If there's, you know, there's a million good instructors and nothing else. You know, I, I just, I love kind of like you and I, man. I, I don't know how we cross paths, but I go to these things and I get to put names with faces and, you know, have a drink and have a bite to eat with these people. So if nothing else, if you're up there, cool. Um and then uh, I think that's it for right now. Uh, I love coming out to departments. I love doing classes for, for you know, the conferences. I, I really love going into individual departments. So it's just a it's a different conversation. It's a different feel. And so uh, if I can help your department out with that, um, I'm more than happy to. I'm also part of the Rust Belt Jakes cadre, uh, which is a bunch of guys. Uh, we do some engine company stuff, primarily, you know, driver skills and, and hose pulls and stuff like that. Uh, just kind of paying it forward and, and putting out some information that we learned from a bunch of other people who are much smarter and better at it than us, but we <laughs> do it nonetheless. Well, Mark, thank you, Chief. I appreciate you taking the time this afternoon to sit down with me and, and talk about this stuff. So with that being said, we will see you guys later. Stick around for a minute, Mark. Um, this is Rob, the Gospel, National Fire Radio, Mark Alone, uh, West Columbia Fire Department, Fire Inside blog. Check him out. If you're going to Firehouse Expo, check out his class. Also, check out the roundtable because I'm sure that's going to be interesting. And then we'll see him at FDIC. And for my folks up in the Greenville area, make sure you guys check him out when he's up there in October. This is Rob, National Fire Radio. The foundation is in memory of Lieutenant Joseph P.D. Bonato. Um, Joey was my best friend and he was one of the people that just pushed me forward and made me want to be a New York City firefighter. The purpose of the foundation is to provide every firefighter in America who can't afford his own personal safety system will buy it for them. It's, it's extremely important to, to give back and remember the legacy of Joey. Um, he, he lost his life and He's not forgotten, we're gonna remember him forever. And we're gonna do that through supporting the, uh, the foundation and all the training that it does. The foundation tries to raise money through donations and also the seminar. The seminar is our big uh, fundraiser for the year. Um, we have uh, almost 300 firefighters here today uh, training at the Suffolk County Fire Academy. So incredibly grateful to be here this weekend at the Joey DiBernardo Training Weekend. Uh, the Memorial Fund has been incredible over the years uh, of what they've been doing in Joey D's legacy uh, is, is mission driven and paying it forward. It's firefighter protection. And the incredible thing about that is that it's done through a training weekend. Um, bringing you know, all these instructors together, 
and firefighters that come in from all over the country to be a part of this weekend really is all about sharing in the legacy of Joey DiBernardo. Well, the main thing about the foundation is we get to pay homage to our friend, brother, firefighter, and instructor, Joey D. And it's just top-notch instructors from all around the country coming in and are offering their sense of street smarts to firefighters from also all around the country. Uh, you, you have everybody volunteering their time, which is great. And again, we want to pay homage to our friend and our brother, Joey, and we teach from the heart. That's the best. There's all kinds of training. There's training on uh, search, there's training on rescue, there's training on um, hose handling, there's training on moving a down fireman. I saw some training being done on giving a down fireman CPR, which I thought was unbelievable. What a, what a great idea. Something I never saw in my career, and I think this is a great idea. There are so many different evolutions going on here, and there's so much going on. It's a great, great seminar. 100% of the proceeds are donated back to fire departments in need. And then the training level that they present is just untouchable. The training that goes on today will save someone's life. With, with the foundation giving the PSSs to all the fire departments and all the grants and all the good work that they've done, they're saving lives directly and indirectly. And everybody that's gone through this training uh, over the past couple days that's being filtered back to their firehouses and to their fire departments and it's our hope that they continue to save lives indirectly or, or directly. We're pushing guys to the limit with what I feel is like some of the best instructors in the country. So you have the whole world encompassed in this. It's a great, great, great training venue. They're giving back to try to save lives. So we, we don't lose anyone else like we, we lost on Black Sunday. So right now, Joey's probably saying, so even though I'm not here, I'm still saving lives. That's what he'd say.